0: Um, and what you were saying about pedals I thought was interesting because I, I like pedals but you are right you you can there's the ho- there's a whole song in like a pedal
1: yeah
2: for sure yeah there's a whole song in a pedal or well sometimes there's a whole song in just uh, a thing like uh, I always get my wife quite often buys me a musical instrument for Christmas or birthday nice and there's like a, she's a keeper she's great <laughs> <coughs> but there's a whole you can get a whole song out of a thing um you know like an omni chord or a you know, i've got like a, an, an old auto harp or something like that and
0: yeah can,
2: it's great but then often you know, i'll get one song out of something and then be like oh that's i'll put that to the side there i'll come back to that at some point and mm. i'm like n- I never do so i'm like hoarding this stuff yeah i find that like sometimes i'll
0: play a pedal and I'm, i don't like it yeah and then i'll come back to it like five years later yeah and be like oh what does that sound like yeah and i'll plug it in and be like wow it sounds amazing i can't believe i didn't like this pedal when i
2: bought yeah. it <laughs> i'd I recently bought a chorus pedal and i've always said they're illegal <laughs> i always said they're illegal and which is weird because i all my like you know bands like the cure and things like that and yeah they've always used those things yeah and my and another guitarist i play with as well he's like he said you, you told me those were illegal like 20 years ago yeah I was like, yeah they, they still might be actually so when you uh when you were a kid i guess chorus pedals were
0: kind of in fashion a bit yeah
2: yeah yeah it must have been yeah, yeah. Like, you know the cure and people like that would always use them
0: what was your uh what were the bands you listened to growing up
2: well it would have been the cure it would yeah. well and it would have been um and then sort of dinosaur junior and stuff like that and also the stuff that was sort of pre-grunge as well you know like sort of uh i was to something the other day that cropped up on my uh, Spotify you know like when things crop up because they know they started working out who you might be mm-hmm. there's bands like um, the Senseless Things and Ned's Atomic Dustbin and things like that these sort of noisy bands that were somewhere between the time frame of uh, I guess grunge and Britpop mm-hmm. or maybe just before both and then it was like the Thames Valley scene you know the sort of Slow Dive and Ride and all those bands and that's just the, just the indie in, in, the Smiths and those sorts of bands mm-hmm because
0: uh, I think even like Nirvana was using quite a lot of chorus pedals they were stuff, yeah they? Kurt
2: Cobain, yeah classically that, what's the big uh, come as you are yeah. yeah that's drenched in it isn't it
0: yeah in fact a lot, I think a lot of that stuff is which yeah. is funny isn't it because you think about it because a chorus pedal it, it kind of makes everything out of tune
1: yeah essentially yeah
0: Um. when I got when I first got a chorus pedal as a kid I always pressed it during the chorus of the song, yeah, because I didn't know what it did. Right, I thought it was what you're meant to use in yeah, the, it's <laughs> the a, chorus. It's not a bad, shout. <laughs> I suppose, it's, yeah, yeah,
2: it's tra- strange, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird when you think about what you were listening to because I, loved, I lo- always loved pop music as well when I was a kid. Like just like pop, I think the first artist I went to see was Howard Jones, who you know did um he was like a sort of keyboard wizard and, mm. and and essentially a sort of weird actually quite an odd pop star. Because if you listen to his lyrical content, it was quite. It wasn't mainstream, really.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But yeah, yeah it's, it's strange.
0: Yeah. So if we start from <coughs> from the beginning of you, this is your life. This is from the beginning of your <laughs> life. So you and you you told me you grew up in Freeland. Yeah. Um. So I've even researched you, right? Have you googled? I, I have. I've googled you. Yeah. But of, not, most stuff I already knew about you. There's a lot see. of stuff that's not true on there. Is there? Yeah. because um, I think the lots of people might know you from your band, uh, Medal. Yeah. Which was the Daisies before beforehand. Was that?
2: Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Well, um, kind of. It's yeah. There's it an extra member and a different sound. Mm-hmm. Uh. Morphed into. Yeah. I, I can tell you about why that happened.
0: Yeah. Actually, should we start, should we start from the beginning? So you grew up, <laughs> <laughs> well, was, I we might miss some cool stuff. So you grew up in Freeland, which yeah. is just down the
2: road from just, where yep, we are across here. Across the fields.
0: And how did you get into music?
2: Yeah. So I was actually, we we. I think I was just like a pretty regular kid into football and into, you know, riding your bike and mm. hanging out in the woods and stuff like, like lots of people are 10, 11, 12. Um, then, so there was. So I was. I wasn't really interested in music at all. Really, apart from mm. listening to music, listen to stuff. I like to listen to music. But I think um my. I went to see my cousin at the time. He was an older cousin. He joined like a covers band in Ensham, and there was a youth centre there. Mm. Ensham Youth Centre, and they had a brilliant youth leader called Nick Luxmore, and he was really like really about getting all these kids to just be creative and mess about. And we were just kids who went to a youth club and used to play pool and, uh, you know, sneak a beer in in there and have a cigarette and, you know, eat some chocolate and just be, like, horrible, horrible lads. Mm. <laughs> just hor- horrible jokes. <laughs> Classic, horrible, like, village types. Yeah. Not not saying village people are horrible, just we were. I was associate
0: um, those those kids with doing wheelies on their on Yeah, their we'd be doing wheelies on our bikes yeah. and yeah. stuff and, yeah.
2: and being told by older people to clear off from yeah. the shops, near yeah. the shops. Yeah. And um, it's just because we didn't really know what we wanted to do or what what we could do really probably mm, mm. Anyway, he came along and he he started this thing um this youth center thing and he decided he was going to put gigs on so he was like he was like i don't know who who puts what bands are in the village so he put a local um covers band on my cousin was this one was the singer and we went to watch and the youth club leader it was he did us it was properly and like i think margaret thatcher had just got in again and he was properly he was a proper like Labour guy and he was really upset by this, so he did he did a support act where he went on stage and just sang like this protest song on his own unaccompanied, and all the wow. kids were like, "Get off, you rubbish!" and he like took <laughs> he he took it and it, but he like and, and I later find out why he did that. It, um, he said he, he he said that he did it because he wanted to show everyone that he wanted to make a complete ass of himself mm. and show everyone that you could do it no matter how bad you were. Yeah. so he did that and then the band came on and they played the stuff and it was like Johnny Be Good and all that stuff. And uh, I just remember thinking, and all the kids were like, on the tables and like dancing and clapping and applauding. And I remember just thinking, "Cool, this looks good. Mm. This looks really fun. Mm. It's really exciting. So I went home and just got my dad's old Spanish guitar and just start, start, start trying to play it. Mm. Just immediately. I think I got like a Russ Shipton's Song A Day book or something. Mm. And It like, taught you how to play Blowing In The Wind by Bob Dylan, mm. which was like A, A, A whatever it was and how did you learn how did
0: someone teach you to tune it or anything? that was
2: the thing because in those days you didn't have tuners did you so no. and this didn't even have any guitar pegs It just i had to, I had to have a pair of pliers to tune the <laughs> broken guitar <laughs> tuning pegs and um i think i had a little floppy vinyl disc that came with this guitar book that you would play the, the note and you'd have to endlessly try and tune it yeah and it was painful hmm. but you and then you would have to sort of physically move my fingers to tune, change between the chords really really not in any way a natural musician like you know you you sometimes see people who pick it up and they'll be like like oh it's change between chords mm. you know you've taught I've taught a few people and they be like oh I think moving around mm. this I was just like absolutely laborious like physically moving my fingers between chords just trying to like get slowly move around mm. but you stuck with it I think I just really liked it yeah I think yeah it must have been at that age when you your brain sticks into it and well, I would play songs from that book and I'd play like Leaving on a Jet Plane and things like after not ever hearing it I remember playing it to my dad and it was quite a punky version Leaving on a jet plane Don't know mm. and He went Have you ever heard this song? I was like No he was like, <laughs> It's not like that at all You it's just like, make it up in your head as you went along? No I was playing it but it was like same chords and same lyrics and I guess the same melody but yeah. like a bit just a bit faster and a bit yeah. more urgent
1: mm.
2: He was like Yeah it doesn't sound like that So I just started playing guitar and then like, I realised I'm playing, learning other people's songs
0: And singing as well?
2: And singing, but only because that's how you learn guitar, isn't it? We just sort of sing a song and play it.
0: Yeah.
2: And then um, I uh, it wasn't particularly good. And I, lots of my friends started playing guitar at the same time, and they were brilliant, some fantastic guitarists, like properly, like they knew the scales and all the chords mm. and how to whittle around. And...
0: Did any of them go on to be in local bands as well?
2: There was a guy called Ollie Wilcox, who was a really good guitarist. He was in a band called Fuzzgun in the early 90s, who were a good band, actually, really mm-hmm. good band there's a couple of there's there's some really good musicians Uh, they stuck me on bass because in those days playing bass was like the equivalent if you were rubbish at football you had to go in goal
1: (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) Which I'm talking to a bass player really really, inside (laughs) I know that's no longer the case but you know that's what that was what young boys used to think well you're rubbish you can go on bass yeah you only need one finger yeah so that's I was sort of relegated to bass
0: well I think that's what's kind of good about bass in a way is that you can start playing it quite quickly yeah and it's and it's immediately like fun yeah well, well Sid Vicious one. played
2: bass didn't he or, well sort of. not <laughs>
0: <laughs> famously posed yeah. Yeah. playing bass I don't think he played it on the records at all no I don't think so played up, like, or so in the gigs, gigs. Here, I don't think <laughs> <laughs> I have seen some footage of them and they're like he is on stage and he is sort of playing the Hitting bass it, yeah but it's more like when he goes for one string it's like all, it's of, all them. of them
2: Yeah,
0: but he does look cool yeah exactly that's like so, more
2: important yeah in that case yeah <laughs> no so I was in that covers band with them called, uh, it was like a school band we called My Grand's Jack Russell and we were um, we uh, played the new centre loads and really enjoyed it. Mm. And that was where we'd go practice and practice there and then play there and just work on covers. And event- But I would always be like, should we try some... I'd keep writing songs. I kept saying, should we try like one of these? Because they were like, oh, we're, a- we're a blues band now. I was like, okay, should we write? I've written this blues song. Should we wanna- do you want to have a go? And I'd mm. record it on a cassette player. They'd go, no. And eventually I just thought, I'm going to start my own band and start writing songs mm. uh, just because I'd quite liked writing songs. And also because I was such a bad player of other people's songs if you write your own you could sort of get away with it.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting that, isn't it? Like some people like I've got friends who are just playing covers bands and they're really happy with that.
1: Yeah.
0: It's not something that I enjoy really very much, especially compared to playing my own music. I don't know if you found that like I find playing original music so much more satisfying than other people playing other people's music.
2: Yeah, I it's always, yeah, I I like yeah, I like I like writing a song. Mm. I like the I like the process of writing a song. And then fleshing out how that song, we can present that song, how it can be, you know, what, what we could we could slow it down, we could speed it up, we could how do we dress it? Mm-hmm. Do we make it, you know, do we do it with synths or do we do it with guitars? What do we do? Yeah. I like that process. Or working with a band in a room really immediately and just going, what happens if we do this? And everyone's just, just changing stuff I and mean, you can try stuff out really quickly. Mm. That's really exciting. And then getting it through to the recorded process and going, there it is. It's Pretty much, I, mean, I didn't expect that, or I did. I was hoping something like I expected, it's yeah. amazing
0: because a lot of I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day like, just right from the point of writing a song, getting it to the point where you've finished it and recorded it, yeah.
1: It's,
0: I mean, it's a huge amount of work, yeah. I mean, even you know. Let alone writing the song and then rehearsing it with the band, and then trying to figure out what the best arrangement is. Everyone coming kind of with their parts, and then yeah. recording it, and then mixing it, and then mastering it, and then releasing it. Like, yeah. you know, one song can take you like a year to actually, <laughs> you know, it can to the do, point where it? people actually hear it. Yeah, you
2: know? um, no, it's strange. I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I really, lo- I used to love that writing process, and then I got the first thing I did was um, one of the early things that made me really fall in love with the. The process was: I got one of those little Tascam four-track recorders, mm. little tape recorders, and a mic. And I would just, just people would be like, oh, you come out this weekend?" I'd be like, "No, I'm gonna. Mm. I'm actually gonna. My parents are away, so I'm gonna like. I'm just gonna stay in and make music all, all night, all weekend, mm. and like write these stupid little mini albums on a cassette that would, you know, never got anywhere. Like, so never could, made could, it anywhere. Could
0: you overdub what four tracks? Yeah, but you could yeah. bounce
2: them down as well. Mm. Right. Okay. So you could do three tracks, then bounce that down to one, and then keep doing that. Yeah. And bouncing them down. Mm. And so you could just layer, layering, you know, layering sounds was like, oh, my God, you can spend ages doing this. And mm. It might just be like a toy keyboard and a hand clap or a shaker and a guitar. and Yeah. But it was still like layering and mm. making. You have to
0: commit to the process then as well, don't you?
2: Yeah. It was really, really cool and really immediate, really, really immediate. There's no looking at, a, oh, was that in time? Was that? It's mm-hmm. just like, oh, it's, this feels all right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good.
0: We take it for granted now, probably.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed that and then you'd be able to you know some songs you'd write on a four track then you could take it to the band and go look I've got this idea this, that's the drum beat that's something like the bass line that's the guitar and then it'd be like "All oh, right," and they'd immediately I'd get your idea much quicker
0: mm-hmm. so what was your first band called when you started writing music uh,
2: it was the mm-hmm. Daisies really yeah yeah it was the Daisies and that was four people from the same school that I went to in Bartholomew mm-hmm. they were like a couple of years above me and um, but they I think I went I think at that point it was just uh, when it must have been like the baggy scene was like you know that was like the prevalent sort of you'd had the sort of Madchester thing you know like Stone Roses and right okay the the, Charlatans right and things like yeah that. yeah and um the
0: Northern that thing
2: yeah that thing <laughs> and uh, <coughs> and there was a lot of which was quite an interesting time actually because there's lots of and they were quite a lot of the ghost musicians were like not particularly awesome like players but they had like a sound and a Mm. Swagger to them, perhaps it's still quite DIY in its way, Mm. and it was like. And then uh, I think I remember thinking, Oh, we could. I wrote a few songs, you know, I wrote something that was similar to like a charlatan's tune, like you know, that sort of feel. I remember saying to someone, We could do this, you know, we should should have a go at this. And I just went around convincing some friends. I remember convincing a mate of mine, Dan, to play bass. He said, I can't really play guitar or bass. I said, That'd be all right, it'd be fine. And we just got in a room and played. Mm -hmm. I mean, our drummer, Lemmy, was into um. He was into like uh, loads of music. He Went to his, his bedroom and it was like lined with vinyl, mm-hmm. like all he had all these shelves built. It was just covered in vinyl. And you would go and call call for him because that's what you did in those days, wasn't it? And he would be like uh, he'd be sat there air drumming with his like a hairbrush because he'd always have this crazy crimped hair and he'd be like air drumming to just sort of glam rock or hip hop or like oh, loads of stuff, mm-hmm. Any, anything didn't matter. But it was always really loud. So He used to drum along to his own vinyls. Yeah, so he'd listen to records and just sort of like. And you know spin things but he'd never played the drums but he'd sit there sort of like tapping just around just miming drums just, just a drum kit. no kit nothing right Well, okay and so we said to him oh well, who's going to play drums and we were like oh we'll get Lemmy to play drums he likes music mm. I mean this is how like shambolic it was and he yeah. was like and we were like well he hasn't got a drum kit so not only is he, he hasn't got a drum kit he hasn't even, doesn't even play drums but so we were, and there was a guy selling a drum kit in the local paper and we went to his round to his house and in the garage had this old like pearl export but it was like you know different bits of pearl exports and mm-hmm. some sh- just rubbish <coughs> and uh, we're going go on and let we'll me just see, see if that works and he just sat down and he sort of like moved a few things and he just played the drums like just played the drums in this guy's carriage no like, and he's never played p- drums before no but he listened to so much music <laughs> and he's sort of like I don't know he must have like watched drummers I guess so yeah but we never really sort of and he just played the drums and he just played them and we were like oh that's Right, we'll have we'll have the kit and it was like I think it was like twenty quid for the kit. Mm. It was a lot of money for us, but it was like Lem's got a drum kit, we've got guitars and amps, let's go and rehearse and write Mm. songs. It's insane. Yeah. It was
0: really, really nice. And it's nice when you're a kid as well, there's no there's no barriers. Yeah. Like it doesn't not being able to do something isn't a barrier. Yeah. Whereas I think when you become an adult when someone says to you, oh, can you do this thing? And you don't know how to do it. I think we meet, well, I sometimes, myself, I go, no, I can't, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Whereas when you're a kid, it's like, oh, I don't know how to do that, but I'll just do it anyway. Yeah,
2: or I'm going to do that. Yeah. We, we just, yeah, was it. We were like, we're going to write some songs and then we're going to release them and we'll probably be on top of the pots with those guys, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we'll be fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Right, songs can you write songs, can't you? yeah, I can probably be fine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So you guys got together, what, to get, what, rehearsed at school?
2: We rehearsed in, like, a local... in like they there was, like, a, a room that the youth centre sorted out for us. It was, like, an old terrapin building in, the, mm-hmm. in within the school grounds. We would rehearse there, like, twice a week. And we'd wrote, wrote loads of songs. And then we started, like... Um, and we, I remember we did a gig, our first gig in Oxford we'd ever did. By this time, we'd, like... The sound had sort of developed. We weren't, like... We weren't... Uh, A baggy Manchester thing Mm. I guess it was like more it was more um, it was grungy sort of power pop thing but it also had like touches of like The Cure and sort of those big epic sort of intros and stuff but it was still sort of a noisy Mm. thing Um, and we played we got a gig in Oxford in the old fire station I remember we'd done because we'd done like played sort of in Hayley Rugby Club or something and Ancient Mm. Youth Club and like the Red Lion in here and just sort of as kids and we got a gig in Oxford. We were like, oh my God! We got a gig in Oxford. It's so exciting. So we went and played a gig in the old fire station. And the lad who was the guy who was doing the sound engineering was a guy called uh, um, Nick Morbath, who went on to own the Zodiac, mm-hmm. and um,
0: which is now the O2 Academy. Yeah, it's now the O2. Yeah. <laughs> For those people who don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and he was uh,
2: he was like doing the sound, and we we played his gig, and uh, he came back. And he went, that was excellent, lads. That was really good. Um, you should come to my studio. He, re- he also owned. Um, Cold Dream Studios. Right, yeah. Which is Which is now a glass yeah. studios, yeah. So he said, Come out to his studio and um have a little play and um and maybe I can manage you. And we're like, Brilliant, just done a gig in Oxford. and then we've got a manager who's mm-hmm. got a studio. And he like was like, yeah, come over and he but he would he said, Yeah, you can rehearse for free mm-hmm. but you've got to do it at eleven o'clock at night when everyone else is finished. Right. So we'd rehearse all night in uh, this little terrapin in school and then after that we'd go to the pub for half an hour one hour or so, and then wait for everyone to finish rehearsing this rehearsal studio, then go there for the rest of the night, and then mm. we'd sort of pull an all nighter there. So we were rehearsing the shit out of stuff, like yeah. really hard. Mm. and Because re- we weren't naturally talented, so we just rehearsed and rehearsed and got really good. Mm. Well, what you say, t- I hate the expression, got really tight, but we were really good in, in that way, you know. I and then
0: when you're a kid, you got the time to do that as well, yeah. You? And you haven't you got to get care. up for work. No, you haven't got to get up for work. I remember watching this this quote from Uh, when Nirvana were looking for a new drummer they said we need someone who can join the band who can rehearse with us all the time like every day we need to be rehearsing and I remember being in my first band was from a couple of boys who lived uh, in the same village as me and I'd go we'd go and rehearse in the guitarist's garage like every day and we'd play I don't know like Hey Joe by Jimi Hendrix for like four hours straight yeah. without stopping just jamming and jamming and jamming and jamming yeah. and jamming and I don't remember ever being getting bored of it
2: no. like I don't remember you, I imagine you didn't get bored in it. no because something happens doesn't it Yeah. Like, I think there's something that happens to your brain at that age as well where you mm. suddenly go you know, they call it like, I guess like athletes call it being in the zone and that don't they where you just like get into it and you're just like I'm doing this and, and then time just goes yeah yeah,
0: yeah. Absolutely.
2: yeah and it just got and it just got really good and then played and then i think someone even reviewed the first gig we'd done and said oh these boys are really good and we
0: we're like oh my god we're really good was there a music magazine back then Oxford? yeah
2: it was called curfew magazine which okay. is now night shift mm-hmm. and um and we were like so then we then nick said come and record this uh come and record some songs for a little tape we used to release tapes in those days little and we went and recorded four, four songs and um sold them and you sell them in record shops so this was
0: at Cold Room Studios. That was where you first recorded. No,
2: it was a. It, that was just rehearsal sp- space then, and, right, fr- okay. and like an actual pick-your-own fruit farm. Um, oh yes, it was. Wasn't yeah, it? It was so it was only farm. like two rooms. Yeah. And then and the, and a fruit farm, but um.
0: I feel like they did get into recording what later. Though? Yeah,
2: m- quite a bit later. Right. And then, but we went to a place called Under the Bed Studios, which was a place in uh, Jericho somewhere, which is a guy literally had a bunk bed on stilts and a mixing desk under it and that was his control room in his bedroom, and then downstairs in the living <laughs> room was, like, the live room. Wow. And we recorded, like, four songs in there. Yeah. And what um, did you record to? Tape. Tape. Proper tape. Like, yeah. And then we all, we did loads of stuff to tape. Um, Then we just played it as we'd rehearsed it, and we were quite well rehearsed, and it sounded fine.
0: All in the same room? Did you do everything? Yeah, everything.
2: Vocals, everything? Right. I think we overdubbed the vocals, but mm-hmm. everything else we put down just live. Mm-hmm. There might have been a couple of guitar overdubs as well. That thing you do now where you... You still do it the same way. I quite often do it the same way. Play live and then just redo the bits that are rubbish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hope you've got it vaguely right. But yeah, yeah. It, was, it was good, really good, really exciting. And then did did more of that. Did you know three or four demo tapes, writing lots of songs, rehearsing them, and mm-hmm. um, and until and, and lots of people started coming to our gigs, and and we and you know putting some cassettes out and having fun in around Oxford, and it was all good. And then I think we went. At one point in the days, is we written a song called Airplane Day and stuff like that, and um, we were like, "Okay, we'll this time we're gonna we're gonna we'll get some money together, and we'll go to a nicer studio, and we'll record it, and we'll make a CD." Mm. CDs were like still, it's like That's a CD. Now people be like, "I don't want to make a CD at all. It's horrible." People don't even want to buy them now, no. do they? <laughs> yeah, but we were gonna make a because it was all cassettes. Yeah, and then I think vinyls were still probably too too expensive in those days. I'm not sure. Mm. Not sure why maybe we never did a vinyl. Don't know. Anyway, we're going to go to. Um, three, we booked a weekend at Courtyard Studios in um, Sutton Courtney where um, Chris Hufford, uh, Radiohead's manager, uh, it was his studio, mm-hmm. and he'd recorded. Th- I'm not sure if they recorded. Radiohead recorded bits of Pablo Honey there, or or not. Maybe they had. Uh, Slow Divers certainly recorded their first album there, I think, and he'd produ- produced it. So we're like, okay, we'll do a weekend with him. We'll we we'll do a similar thing. We'll do like four, two days, four songs, put it on a CD. But it would just we would try and make it a little bit better than the other stuff. Now, as somebody who records bands, I'm thinking when someone says we're going to come in and do four days, mm-hmm. uh, four four songs in two days, I'm like, oh, should we do it? We could spend a bit longer. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we, so we smashed that, and he was like, and we were we were recording that with him, and as we were, we were chatting to him, we said, "What are you going to do this?" And we said, "Oh, we're going to record this. We're going to make these CDs." We're gonna um, send them to American college stations, uh, you know, radio stations, and um, and then we'll they'll play them lows and then we'll go out there and tour, and we'll probably get a record deal in America. <laughs> where
0: did that idea hatch from?
2: <laughs> I think there was the college radio scene was big in those days. I, I right. guess it still is, but yeah. it was like certainly something that we were like, that's where we're gonna go and do it because this is sort of, I guess our sound was. Uh, it was a bit like sort of more like sort of swerve drivery. It was it sort of developed into that sort of noisier, perhaps a little bit shoegaze, but a little bit sort of um, noisy as well, sort of almost pre-grunge stuff. Um, yeah, we just thought that was that was our plan, and he was like, and we, you know, we'd done like car boot sales to raise the money to to go to the studio and things car like that. Car boot sales. Yeah, <laughs> we'd just like <laughs> gone out and like sold tat to raise the money for the studio. Wow. And then we went there, and and he said, yeah, he said, well, so what, see what you're doing? We told him what we're doing. And then the, I didn't have any money to pay him the day we finished. The next day, I went back to collect the DAT tape, or whatever,
1: mm.
2: and uh, paid him. And he was like, oh, "You should have a chat about this idea. So it's, it's actually not. It's not that outlandish, really. It's not that. It's not a bad sh- idea." Mm. Um, and then we started talking to him about. Uh, he just started being more of a presence and helping us a little bit, and then we recorded. I don't. We never signed anything with him. But he he would be really, him and Bryce, who were Radiohead and Supergrass as were like, oh, well, come to the studio and do some more demos and record some more stuff. And we ended mm. up recording an album with Chris Hufford. And then, and then we had a little single deal in, a little single release in California. And we went and toured California for a couple of weeks.
0: What was that like? Because did you go straight from playing local gigs to then playing?
2: Yeah, we'd started doing, when they got involved, we started doing like the, what they call the toilet tour of the UK. Mm -hmm. We'd started doing that a little bit on our own anyway at this point point. Yeah, and just booking gigs here and there. And then I think once they were involved, we were carrying on doing gigs around the the country, sort of Leicester, Princess, Charlotte and the Philadelphia and Mm -hmm. all the, all the stuff. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And then we'd gone out to California, literally with just our guitars and we picked up some back line out there and just played uh, lots, you know, lots of shows out there and and they just released this little seven inch vinyl, just two tracks
0: was that, was that a bit mind-blowing, going it was, out there? It, it was
2: kind of... No, it was it was really exciting. Mm. It was like, oh, that's California. And it, was only, it was only up and down the... Uh, actually, up and down California for a few weeks. Um, and the, But the gigs were similar to what we do at home as well, those sort of sides. It wasn't like any sort of step-up in that way. It yeah. was just exciting, and it was like America, and that was the plan. We'd re- write these songs release them in America. It's a pretty
0: be- ballsy plan, isn't it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, cause most bands, most English bands go to Europe. Yeah.
0: That's, that's what they do. But yeah. you guys kind of went, you know. Yeah, but I don't yeah.
2: know how that happened. That was just, yeah, just, yeah. just
0: just chance.
2: Well, once Chris and Bryce were involved, that obviously helped a lot because they, they had Radiohead and yep. Supergrass were just starting to break at that point, I think. No, they, maybe they weren't, they were still bubbling under. Okay. Um, and so and they obviously and it is really annoying but it, an awful lot of what happens in music industry is who you know yeah. regardless of like how good you are mm. I mean we could play certainly and the songs were yeah, pretty good but mm. it certainly helped having some people like that involved yeah. yeah, I mean I don't think any of that would have happened I don't think any of it would have happened without their involvement
0: so those bands Radiohead and Supergrass they were they were about but they weren't doing a lot
2: so Radiohead were probably when we first hooked up with I mean, the first time we went in and met Chris, I think Radiohead were probably still on a Friday, mm-hmm. and Supergrass were probably just they were the Jennifer's before they were Supergrass. Mm-hmm. They might have just been ending as the Jennifer's and turning into Supergrass. We mm. I mean, went Supergrass when Radiohead were clearly like, even as on a Friday, were clearly like, you'd, could we played lots? They'd always play all the gigs around town. They were clearly like going to be right, amazing, yeah. And the Jennifer's were an amazing band anyway. Mm-hmm. Gaz always had the swagger and Danny always had it um, and then when they turned into Supergrass they got Mickey in and then that was, then they became a three piece and they were just really when I mean the first uh, Supergrass gig I saw it was just like everyone it was packed and everyone knew really like, it was like one of those things like oh, this is really this is happening mm-hmm. you know they're playing Caught by the Fuzz one of those classics that we know now and it was like whoa in the back of a room of a pub
0: yeah that's the thing isn't it like i think um i think it's hard to get it's harder to get people out to go to gigs now Mm. but i think people forget that if you do go and watch an unsigned band you might go and see
2: you might see a real corker
0: yeah you might go and see a band that's like you know gonna turn into an ex another huge band
2: yeah well that was the thing about the the supergrass because they were the the jennifers were really good i mean the the jennifers did made a lot of they were playing lots of great shows and they had a really big following in the, in, in Oxford, and and mm. they were still doing loads of gigs around the UK. Um, but when they switched, and they obviously just thought that's just they obviously just wrote a whole bunch of songs that were just really direct and really punchy, and mm. and, and you, that was just amazing. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it's quite exciting times.
0: Nice. Yeah, it's nice to be in a scene isn't it?
2: Yeah. Did it feel like a scene at the time? There were, I do remember that there was lots of... I mean, there were always loads of bands that were hanging about and playing, and it did feel like a scene, yeah. It felt like... But I still go to um, gigs now, because people sort of my age could go, oh, it's not the same as it was, you know. Mm. It was a scene back in those days. And mm. I think, obviously, the internet makes it less insular and more less scenic, because people are getting influences from all over the place. But I I went to... um, Who was I watching? I was watching like Easter Island statues playing with... Uh, Self help or something. Was there, I think three or four like sort of noisier indie sort of um, crunchy bands mm. from Oxford. I don't know how to describe them. And they were all at the Jericho Tavern. We used to always play at Jericho. Jericho was like the the a prop, really good venue in those mm-hmm. days. Um, yeah, everyone went went through there, I went, and I went to watch them. And it, was, it felt just exactly like when I was a kid doing that as, as well. And you know, everyone all, you, all, the, all the other bands would be in the crowd watching you jumping off the stage, and then. And you just all swap, and you'd have a few beers, and it'd just be like. So I think it still exists. Mm-hmm. That scene. Yeah. Everyone supporting each other, or bitching about each other, or whatever. You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's still like they're all like, they're all making music still.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I think, I think Oxford's good for that. Mm. I think I definitely know. I've got friends of other from other parts of the con- country. And I try and explain that Oxford's quite good for music, and they're yeah. like, "Is it?" Yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, it's really good," but like, I mean. I think since you've had a few venues close yeah. it's a bit harder now it is but there's definitely something about Oxford that just makes it good for music I'm not quite sure what it is
2: there th- is yeah I think there's the pr- there are promoters that still want to put stuff on
0: Yeah. and regardless of the fact that those promoters are really into the music yeah and regardless of the fact that they're probably not going to make any money out of it yeah they're just doing it because they, they love doing it yeah so think about like uh, uh Osprey is always always putting on gigs penny at the Haven Club yeah. she's always putting on yeah. gigs at Bullingdon. yeah it's like they just love it they just yeah. want to put on gigs and they want to be around and you've these. got the
2: the divine schism lot as well um, yeah. Aiden and uh, those guys they put on some really cool shows but they're like you say and some sometimes he knows he's not going to get anything on a show yeah, yeah sometimes he might break even but they're putting on stuff that they love and that they also put on stuff like from around the world that they love which is really cool you'll get these like cool little bands international Bands, and then you might have a couple of local supports on there. Yeah. Which is how it's always been, you know. Yeah. That's how it was always when you would... In the old days at Jericho, you'd support a decent touring band. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, really exciting. Yeah. You know, like the Verve and Slowdive and that would all play at the Jericho Tavern. Yeah. And if you got, like, one of those supports, it was like, that's cool, isn't it? It's going to be really packed.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a, it's a nice... It's almost like a, the the natural order of things, right? Yeah, is that the bigger bands help the smaller bands, yeah. and they give them a step up, and yeah. and I I know Jake from who's um does a lot of promoting the O2. He's trying to do that now with his promotions, a new view Promotions. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. A little Facebook group, and people can apply to like if you want to be a support band yeah. for this band. And I think it's really cool because I think I think that's coming back in now that whole thing because for a while it kind of disappeared that idea of the little bands supporting the big bands and then the little bands become the big bands. Yeah. And, you know.
2: Often the, I think that sort of when it goes up venue size, often the bigger band has a tour support anyway. Yeah. But when it's those smaller sort of bully sizes, you can be a bit more flexible. It's I
0: think the really big bands actually, they do the, they do this buy on thing now, yes, yes, right. which is a bit, which I find is like, it's totally weird. I
2: get why they do it.
0: Yeah. Because it's hard to make money out of, yeah. out of out, when you when your crew gets bigger it's harder to make money out of it. Yeah. Um, there's a, a a band that I wouldn't say who, but it was a band that I was we supported a while ago, and who's the sort of like a like nineties rap metal band, and they were doing a buy on thing. Yeah. But I did get it because although the venues are quite big, their costs are quite big as well. Yeah. And if they can get if they can find a way to get an extra thousand pounds, that might pay for the hotels for everyone and stuff. Yeah, yeah,
2: you do sort of need to watch that when you're in a band. Like if someone's doing something for you, mm. it's not because they're. Do out know, the kindness of their heart? No. They, they need paying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, this guy's driving us to the airport. <laughs> he needs paying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what was the next stage for your band?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, so your we released a
2: single in, Cali- it was just, I think just, it was in America, but it was mainly California. It's just a little indie label. Um, And then we came back to Oxford, Karen doing the toilet tour and started recording an, an album uh, with Chris and that turned into an album called Kowloon House which was then picked up by IRS records in America IRS used to have like uh, REM and the police and stuff on them mm-hmm. they were like I guess sort of quite a cool indie but uh, you know sort of big label as well it was one of the Copelands who owned IRS I think oh really yeah
0: was it like a subsidiary of another I may label? have been yeah.
2: probably was um Uh and then we went, and we so we did an album with them. And then we went on tour and toured uh, the album for about four months, just around the whole UK, whole of America. And uh, in a little Dodge van that we all had to drive. Right. We had a tour manager and uh, a sound guy, and they were like man, they were husband and wife, and the, and they had a dog <laughs> called Jack, and it was on the tour with us. And we had this Dodge van and like a U-Haul trailer with all our gear in, and you'd have these sort of benches along the back, so you could just sleep on and.
0: Did so you stay at hotels or were you sleeping in the van?
2: We slept in uh, two to a bed in like motel sixes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Horrible little motels. Yeah. I used to sleep with Mark, the guitarist, and the, and the rhythm section slept together because they were like just horrible. And, but you spend four <laughs> four months sleeping with your guitarist. Yeah. It's like you get to know each other. Mm. But it was really brilliant going around uh, America. So we just went round and round and round and across the middle and just around. and. Mm. Out there by that time, Supergrass just released uh, I Should Coco. Mm-hmm. And I think we hooked up for a tour with them where we were supporting them. They had a big, va- they had a big um, bus. We had still had our little, and they had like a nightline or something, yeah. They had yeah. a proper one, yeah. And we had, uh, we'd just meet them at the gigs and then and you know, do our thing. Uh, and then we'd pick up tours. So we'd start with a tour which was like an IRS tour, and then we'd do some other tour in between, and pick up a tour of Supergrass and some other tour. and... All these tours would just like keep endlessly going on, mm. and we would uh, we would drink too much and uh, play every night. Uh, you know, we'd play like the whiskey two nights at the whiskey and stuff like that. And do remember, it's, it's uh, Steve Jones, isn't it, from Sex Pistols? Yeah, I remember him being in the dressing room at one point because we were in there with Supergrass and like this guy was in there. And we were like, and we were all talking about like, he was like Steve Jones, Sex Pistols. And We're like, fuck. He was like really, <laughs> really went I guess he must have been like a. A radio DJ at that point as well, because I, I know he did that at some time. Then. It
0: feels like every rock star ends up just living in LA. Yeah, especially British rock stars. They yeah. for a while just doing something.
2: Yeah, it was weird. So that was all a bit of a blur, and but really fun, really fun blur. Because you get into the the uh, the routine of you know you wake up with a hangover, you get breakfast in like a Denny's or something. Yeah. You get in the van, you drive for ten hours maybe to the next venue, and then you sound check you'd uh, get some dinner, do a gig, get drunk, do go back to your hotel, do the same thing again. Yeah. What age were you at this point? You must have been 20, not
0: 22, 20, no, 23, 24. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you skip, you didn't go to, didn't go to uni or anything like that? Did no, I, that yeah, I,
2: that's the bit, that's the bit I regret actually. <laughs> I, uh, right. I went to art college when we, just when we started the Daisies, I went to art college for two years. Um, just to be around people who liked doing arty stuff, mm. um, and then the music started getting, getting like we were making some headway with the music. And you know, you do the I'm going to go and look at uni things. Mm. Went to the at all the unis, and it's like at the end of it, it was like, do I go for the music thing, or do I go to uni? And I, you, yeah. I couldn't have really done both. Yeah, I could have probably done both if I'd done it in o- uni in Oxford. But. Yeah. Um, and then uh, yeah, so I chose that. I chose music, and that sort of took me off on that. That took me off on a, a lifetime of doing that. Which mm. is a uh, well. It's you know, not a bad decision, is it? It's no, out. it's it's just what happens. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I would have liked to have done both, really. Mm. Yeah. And there's probably no reason why you can't. No. Well, maybe there it is.
0: It's hard. I think, I think that certainly for me, there there comes a point where you have to make a decision in in any part of your life. It's like, what am I going to do? You have to commit, don't you? Yeah. Especially, it's it's a bit easier to commit when you're younger. But yeah, yeah, I'm going to go down this path. I'm going to go down that path. Otherwise. You don't want to do half. You don't want to go half in and... Well, that's you what we... Yeah, yeah.
2: and in a way, we, that's what we did. So I, when, when I finished art college, we were, that was, we were probably two years in... That was a two-year course. And then we were two years in doing the Daisies. we started making some headway doing these cassettes and stuff, and it was all good fun. And I remember I said to the bass player, he said, like, oh, we should move to Oxford because I used to live with my parents in Freeland still at that point. Mm. So let's move to Oxford and we'll be a proper band, you know, and live in Oxford and do mm. it. And I, he, I said, oh, how do we do that? He goes, well, you, all you got to do is sign on Get housing benefit as well, and uh, we can just do the band full time. So we did the band full, like we'd rehearse all the time, and sign on and get housing benefit. And we lived in a big house in Jericho, huge, like I had a basement. So it was, I guess it's four stories. Um And I lived there with a guy called Mac, who used to run the Jericho Tavern, mm-hmm. and he was also in a band called Arthur Turner's Love Child. He's brilliant songwriter, brilliant, but like, a, like liked alcohol quite a lot, a lot as well. So he was a bit sometimes a bit um unpredictable. Mm-hmm. uh and we uh we uh, our guitarist at the time mark was working in a bank, you know, and we said to mark you have to <laughs> you have to quit your job and sign on yeah and uh and he lived in the same house as us, and he was mm-hmm. like, all right, and he just quit his job job in a bank and signed on 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 no money and did did the band I've got to
0: wonder how many bands of that era were did that it seems like that. everyone was doing it yeah. even especially a lot of those Manchester bands talk yeah. about
2: that all the time everyone did it and yeah. it was like I remember going to a restart interview when you were like long-term unemployed. <laughs> so when we'd been like, if you if you were unemployed for a couple of years, you'd just have to, you'd be sent on these courses. And I remember being in a in a room sent on course, being a young, quite you know, in my twenties, early twenties. And they say and go around the room, they're talking about why why we're unemployed, and it'd be these older guys who like talking about this sort of how hard it was. And they sort of came to me and, and like a, like a complete little snot. Like, I was like well I just sort of see it as like a grant you know so I can do the band and like it's like and everyone's like you, you complete <laughs> prick and it's like and looking back I, what a what a little twat I think it's uh, we all get probably more
0: conservative as we get older as well don't we yeah so it's like they were all probably thinking well we have to pay for you to do that yeah and I
2: was just going well as far as I'm concerned it's a grant so I can do the band and then one day we'll make some money out of the band and it'll be fine yeah and, and, and eventually we did and I guess we paid you know yeah. through taxes and paid perhaps paid know. my way at, yeah, yeah. at that point but um to be sat there with those people with real lives <laughs> talking <laughs> like that it's a bit embarrassing but that's what we did and everyone a lot of people did it yeah
0: yeah and uh oh i don't see how you could do it any other way yeah like if you want to fully commit to to being in a band and playing music assuming that your band isn't going to make any money at the beginning
2: yeah, this, this is what you got to do. Well, I was watching that documentary about um, Damien Hirst and all those guys last night, and there was like the late eighties and early nineties when they started like, putting on their own art exhibitions and stuff. Mm. And they were talking about how they would get like a, like a young enterprise allowance of forty quid, and it was like you know set, set your own business up, and it was like complete. They were just using that to be artists. So uh, all artists were doing it. You know, there's got it's a little way around it to, to give myself basically yourself buying yourself time to get good at what you're doing
0: and in a way it's kind of what it's for yeah in a way if you think about it you yeah. know like it's for it's to help you to get a job and make a career i think most people don't think of music as yeah typically something that fits into that category yeah but it, it is you know it, yeah
2: it is even on the very sort of local level that it's i'm perhaps involved with now mm. it still is you know yeah it all feeds into the the economy
0: yeah well <laughs> it does eventually You pay it back eventually yeah. won't you yeah um so, how did so how did the band transform from one band into oh yeah? So after
2: we toured America, phrases, um, and then we came back to the UK and we started recording another days album. We just did loads more. We you know are playing like Reading Festival and stuff like that at this point and, and getting on like small stages on those little festivals and mm-hmm. things. That's the Daisies. and I think we did. Do we do any? I think we. I think the Daisies might have supported. No, maybe it wasn't Daisies we were getting some little cheeky little support slots which were nice and little tours around the UK mm. but really essentially the um, we kept missing out, you know everyone's got those uh, we could have had this major deal, everyone's got their major deal story they missed out on mm. the, I remember Chris would always be like, we're just right on the edge of this, this so we nearly got signed to like uh, the V2 label and he's like oh they've gone with this other band instead uh, called Stereophonics, and like, oh shit <laughs> damn it <laughs> and it's and it's not back after knockback, back you know like yeah near, it's nearly there yeah and then you don't quite get across it's all those knockbacks. i
0: don't know if you found this or whenever i was trying to when my when my 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 band little brother I, when we were trying to make it we were constantly trying to get label people to our gigs yeah. and it was like they'd always be like yeah you know i'll beat your gig and then you'd invite all your mates and cram it and yeah. then they'd just never turn up yeah. or something would happen or then you would get a phone call the next oh no i, I was gonna come but you know I just, yeah you know well, this was
2: still i guess this was still it felt like it was much more reachable because yeah. Chris and Bryce were there and they would like, and they are and supergrass were flying, Radiohead were flying. It was like, so it was still like, oh, it's, you know, they're, yeah. they're the right boys to get these guys here. And, and then, they feel
0: like, did you feel like they sort of really believed in Yeah, you? I felt like they believed yeah. in us, yes, yeah. yeah.
2: And they did. I mean, they put a lot of effort and energy into it. So I, yeah, I was really grateful to them for all mm. that. And uh, so they'd be going, oh, it's just not quite work. I remember Chris saying to me once, uh, eventually like, you know, I don't, I just don't think we're going to get a major to bite on this, uh, or something like some words to this face. I think we might have to like have a rethink. Like, just have a like maybe. Is there a way of tweaking it? Mm. Like tweaking the sound, tweaking like the uh, and like um, maybe get someone else in, freshen things up, and just change it. You sort of think, oh, and and uh, I, I could have taken that like either like oh he's he's given up on us, mm. or like oh we, well, why not? We've mm. been doing this for long enough, and we've had a great time. Why don't we just uh you know those songs are those songs there's these other ones coming through they could feed into this another thing and the sound is always developing mm. so uh i wrote a whole, i wrote another bunch of songs um, we've got a keyboard player in called Richard Brinklow who's an amazing keyboard player and i should note uh, also the uh, probably the best musician out of, at that point we are still just four blokes who are having to hammer it away in rehearsal to get anywhere remotely mm. good rich is like a proper player proper musician who can do it all and so we get him in to come for a jam with us in uh, one day time because we're still all signing on. Or um, well, we might have a publishing deal at that point. I think we did. And Anyway, he comes along and he plays and I, we try a few of these new songs I've written and they're a bit more. It's probably in that time when uh, Porter's Head had just released Dummy and mm-hmm. uh, Radiohead had probably done OK Computer. Mm-hmm. So the mu- the music scene's sort of getting a bit more like, ooh, a bit... Yeah. Chip you know, Hop has just sort of happened or is still happening and things are getting a bit spacey and heady so i wrote a few more songs that are in that vein and uh we really quickly get like an album's worth of material together Let's start demoing them and uh chris and chris, they obviously work there much it and send these things out and before you realize it we're playing at the zodiac now the o2 mm-hmm. and there's like rick rubens and uh matey boy from american yeah, the whatever late like, what was it on they're not Def Jam, were they? What label were they on? I can't remember. Yeah, it was Def Jam. Was, was
0: their label? That was that's the one they did lots of hip hop stuff on. Yeah, they're yeah.
2: the, they at the gig hmm. to see us, and then there's like Polydor and someone else. There's like there's like three labels or something at this this Zodiac gig, and we we're playing these new songs. We we're a fresh, bright, fresh new band. Did you changed
0: the name at this point. Changed the name to right.
2: Metal, and we we're like, and we got a new sound and we were a new band, hmm. and uh, they're managed by Chris and Bryce. So, so everyone's like, oh, we're coming up a Look. And you got, and it was just like, so what happened was, and I don't know if any of this was deliberate, but Chris said, I go and talk to Rick Rebens and I can't remember who his partner was. It's not George Draculius. I, can't I don't remember. know. They say, go, go go, and have a chat with them in the dressing room. So we go and sit in there in the dressing room with them. And at that point as well, we've been hanging around with James Lavelle, who mm-hmm. does MoWax. Who yeah. He did we'd been, He'd been coming to loads of our gigs as well. And we really wanted to sign to Wax because it, like, it was like, we were listening to that so it was all a bit smoky and all that so we really wanted to sign with them but um, they these guys came into the dressing room and we just sat and smoked with them and talked with them and drank with them And meanwhile there was like at least two other record companies out the front not talking to us at all and they've just seen us go backstage with these guys mm. and they're all thinking shit what's going on here uh, and then on the Monday after that thing Polydor just said here's a, here's a, do you want to sign a record deal and we were like yeah alright I mean in, in retrospect we should have said no we want to sign to Momax. Yeah. And uh have fun like that. But it, is, it was exciting.
0: Yeah. Signed to Polydor. And also when you've been waiting for an opportunity for a major. It feels like you should you should strike while that one's hot. Really, yeah, just get on with it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So we did that. And then we recorded uh, an album as medal in um uh Sawmill Studio, which was uh it, but it's the thing as a metal, we were really enjoying making music that was kind of a bit more spacey a bit more arty maybe a bit more self-indulgent yeah and uh probably being artists being artists instead of like grubby yeah punks or something
0: although from from the music that i've listened to it's still very song-based yeah it's not it's just it's, the way it's dressed it's not as weird as as you could have as some of the other bands that no it's not going. it's yeah. still
2: but it's kind of like but it, i think it wants to be dj shadow and pink floyd somehow but right. but yeah. some but with a but with a melodic pop influence. Right, <laughs> so yeah. So it's like, I mean, there's one song on there called Up Here For Hours, which was a single, which I wrote deliberately to get a record deal. Like, I remember being quite consciously like, oh, this this will work. Mm-hmm. And someone said to me, like, they, wrote, they said, what have you been doing today? I said, I just wrote a song that will get us a record deal. And it was like really, it, was, it felt a little bit more cynical yeah. <laughs> than the days is. But I think if you were going to, maybe after having a chat with Chris and him saying, try some different stuff, maybe I just thought, actually, yeah
0: why not there's a lesson in that as well because some people do not want to change anything about what they do yeah and that's I think that's also that's also valid and fine as well but it is you know if someone gives you I think if someone gives you some advice regardless of who it is it's all all something you can take away
2: especially someone you trust yeah who believes in what you're doing anyway yeah and actually it's not a massive jump I mean I'd I'd written songs that were going to fit the new band anyway so it was Mm. already starting to because you know you listen to you listen to stuff I mean bands always evolve and change and I always like to write I always feel like especially album wise or a body of work wise I always write a song that's almost a reaction uh, against what you have written and, and you always want to push it on somewhere new
1: yeah,
0: and I think, I think that's sometimes, like, a funny thing for fans, because they want, sometimes want you to do the same yeah. thing.
2: Yeah, well, it's that sort of Blur-Oasis thing, isn't it? Yeah. So you could say Oasis pretty much did Oasis, mm. and Blur would often, you know, they would, they would sort of change, and they'd have different, lots yeah. of different things going on there.
0: I think Blur, in a way, if you, they're a bit, I mean, they're a bit like the Beatles in the sense that they yeah. catalogue. Yeah. If, if you were to put it all like a greatest hit... Mm kind of it would seem incoherent in a yeah, way because yeah. it's just it's like, oh, it's a bit of this and a bit of that and you
2: know which I like bands like that like like say the Beatles yeah. if you listen to a Beatles album like the White Album is one of my favourite albums and that's like I mean listen to that it's just like some crazy Spotify playlist isn't it yeah, yeah it it's is it's a proper mashup and I like bands like Ween who do, do that I remember the Ween album Chocolate and Cheese which has got seems, this just all the stuff on there is insane and then mm. they do like a a country album that follows that and it's like why not?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And I think a lot of American bands are more inclined to do that than British bands as well. But maybe. Yeah, that's maybe. Just a, maybe that's just a old thing.
0: I think. Um, I think. I think it's very difficult. I would find it very difficult to stay in the same place. Yeah. For for years and years and years. Oh, I guess like a- AC/DC and bands like that do it do it very well. Yeah. But you know, it gets to a point where, and I had this with, with my band at Brother Eli when we were doing the blues rock thing. I felt like I was just coming up with blues riffs because I felt like I should. Yeah. And not because I wanted to. You yeah. Know? It was like, oh, oh, I can't use that because it sounds too this. I, I have to, I have to, you know, we have to play on a slide guitar or something. Yeah.
2: Um, Which is weird. It's funny you say that. I always think I get trapped in like, oh, I've got to write this because that's what we are. Mm. So quite often if I'm writing, especially with the computer, I always give myself a different name or different folder. So mm. And I pretend it's a different project. Yeah that I can be whatever I want to be mm. and then let's like, then it just gives me that freedom to like not write something I've already written.
0: Yeah. I always hate, I always hate that discussion. I've had that with producers in the past where they, you go, okay, and, and this song I want to do this and they go, well, you can't do that. You're like, well, why not? Oh, it's you don't do that when you're doing this and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> it's strange, <isn't> it? <laughs> yeah, some people are. Some people like to put things into boxes and categories, and that cool. that can be good, but also it can be a bit stifling.
2: People always say the public like that. They like to, cause you want to get an album, you want to know what you are getting. Yeah, Whereas I actually want to. I kind of the opposite. I kind of want to get an album that surprises me. Yeah. A little bit. I want to. Yeah. Kind of. I kind of know what I'm going to get. I know the sound. I know the what the sort of feel is. But like, I like within that to have things that you sort of change. I mean, yeah. like I go back to like bands like The Cure, which I I loved and still do. I put on an album, I put on their first album, um, what's the pink one with the Hoover on in the fridge? Is it Three Imaginary Boys? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And that's like a little um, new wave punk album. Mm. And then, you know, and then they've obviously changed and developed into a stuff. But even on one of their albums, they would, they'd have like, there's noisier things and then there's like sort of weirder things and poppier things and all sorts of odd you mm. might get a big stadiumy thing, and then something more, much smaller and cutesy or weird. Mm. So it's quite—I quite like things to be varied.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think I agree.
2: So I didn't have a problem changing the sound. Yeah. with metal, I didn't have a problem with that. And he had a keyboard now as well. And then we had this, this keyboard player who was really musical. Yeah. And we'd we'd just try things out and mess about.
0: And was anyone else writing other than you?
2: Uh, that we start—we wrote a few songs together, like in in the room jamming at that mm. point. And then, but what, that kind of which worked on a few songs but it still it still was easier to write a song and then yeah and then work out how then take the song apart and put it back together and do that sort of stuff. Mm. I think metal sort of we overthink overthought rather um a lot of how it should be presented and we'd spend ages taking something apart and making it really minimal and then making it bigger and mm-hmm. and so that maybe wasn't as we probably started overthinking things. I think we thought we were like proper artists at that point, mm-hmm. which is kind of what happened with the reviews. Like, I think the melody maker liked it, but the enemy like absolutely panned it and <laughs> called us like pretentious idiots. And like really, they, they compared it to like Pink Floyd and right. St- which was all uh, all the references we wanted.
0: It's just a weird magazine enemy because I find that some, that when, you know, when I used to read it, yeah. their criticisms of stuff, they'd say, oh, God, I don't like this band," so it's like Led
2: Zeppelin. Yeah. And I'd be like, but I
1: like
2: Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, They absolutely panned it. And then um, we'd also spent loads of money on all the artwork. They spent loads of money on uh, and things like that. And so it didn't, and I think it sold like, I think it sold like 30,000 or something, hmm. which now I'd be like, well, that's fantastic. But yeah. obviously, if it's a major re- record label, plough money into something, I guess it's not enough. That'd get you on the charts now if you sold 30,000. Yeah. I, think, I, I don't know, someone told me that Oh, I might have had that wrong actually mm. but um, I also but weirdly with metal I kind of felt like because um, we were artier and a bit uh, we thought we were anyway when we do shows we started doing quite big shows I remember I didn't talk to the audience in the same way and interact to the audience in the same way I started getting much more fear on the stage I felt like a bit disconnected from what we were doing that's interesting um, because I think I wasn't communicating it didn't feel like it was uh, us together band and it felt like it was us versus them almost right and it's kind of like here's this here's the music mm. take it or leave it yeah This it this thing you know, instead of it being a bit more together so i started sort of feeling a bit more disconnected from it and i remember saying to the um the guy who signed us we were support i think we we're supporting the blue tones on some sort of 2000 style sort of tour see a thing and they're, they're quite big shows but, um We'd, I mean, and I remember going out being really nervous before we went on, because like, I used to get nervous with the medal, but not so much with the daisies. And uh, I just remember saying to him, I'm really not cut out for this. <laughs> I'm not cut out for this at all. Mm. And he's the guy who signed us. Right. So it's like, so yeah, we got dropped after that album. Right. I mean, no, it's not really any surprise, really. You didn't sell enough, and the singer's just told you he's not cut out for it. <laughs> <laughs> We're so, being honest, though. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, I don't. I think I probably was. I think I was probably just drinking too much booze. Yeah, and getting a bit too jangly. Yeah, yeah. Instead of, instead of being focused on what we were doing. Mm. Yeah. I think
0: I think in different bands, like when you, <laughs> when you're in a sort of a more sort of raucous punky band, it feels more like you're a gang. Yeah. And everyone's got your back. Yeah. Whereas I think if you're doing something more arty. Yeah. It's a bit like oh well, look at look at this thing I've created. Exactly. It's, it's a totally different vibe. Yeah,
2: it's odd. And whilst I liked the music, it just felt like there was a s- subtle mind, you know, sort of just a change in, in how it felt. Mm. Uh, so yeah, but that, but we, I mean, we travel you know, we toured um, Japan and Europe and stuff like that, and we played some awesome festivals and played at Glastonbury and things like that on the what, main stage. What was the highlight with that band? I really enjoyed playing it. We played in, at Reading Festival one year because we used to always do Reading and stuff like that, and mm. I remember. I just remember one one gig in Reading when I looked out and it was it, it was it was one of those offshoot stages. But I looked out and there was um, I could just see loads of people from Oxford mm. there in in the crowd. Like wherever I looked, I could see someone, and it was probably towards the end of uh, medal actually. But um, it felt it's one of those moments where you properly got lost in the music, mm. and, the, and it sounded good on stage and it felt yeah. good, and it was like really good. One of those moments when you're properly like it's all electric and it's all like happening. It's Mm. like, whoa, this is really good fun.
0: I always think that like music's a bit like, a bit like a drug in that sense, because we all want to, we have those moments. You know when people say like, well, you know, I used to take drugs and I'm always searching for that high that I had that the first time, whatever. I think music's a bit like that because we all remember those gigs. Yeah, And then you're like, oh, let's get back to that, whatever that was, let's do that. But actually that might only happen like one in 10. or Yeah, it's hard
2: to just become just, you know it sounds silly but become you know yeah. the music <laughs>
0: yeah you become the music but also you like I find when I'm in that zone and yeah. everything's going like and it's, it sounds nice like I'm not thinking about anything else in my life I'm no. not thinking about bills or worries yeah. or anything you're just on this high just riding the whole time yeah it's really nice I don't know if you found that like at the end of touring like yeah. I find this now at the end of touring I find it quite hard to get back into... Even if I'm only gone for, like, two weeks or yeah. something. When I, when I come back, I'm, like, trying to do normal stuff and it feels a bit, like, yeah. depressing or something. I don't know how to explain yeah, it. Yeah,
2: it, it used to be really odd stopping to... It used to be really odd coming back from, like, a long studio session where so I used to go to the studio for, like, mm. a couple of weeks at a time. And then you'd come back into the real world and you'd be, like, you know, just buying groceries. It mm. was odd. Um, yeah. There's something about being in that different bubble, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And then coming back to real life.
0: Mm. Yeah. Good though, really good. Yeah. It's good fun. So, what did you do, what happened to the band after that? After you were dropped, we
2: were So, we released a, a second album and, uh, 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 on our own label, mm-hmm. which was even more silly. Which is called uh, what's it called? So, it was drop your weapon was the one on Polydor, Do, and then it was another one called Stuntman. Mm-hmm. Stuntman had a really nice song called Stuntman on it, um, and then it had loads of. Sort of sp- spoken word and like odd oddness as well okay and like it was a bit more like just soundtracky stuff but with some songs as well and it was a bit it's quite, quite I haven't met. listened
0: I've listened to the first album i am not listening to the second album the second album.
2: album's not around on I don't think it's on Spotify or anything mm-hmm. I'm not even sure it's on like YouTube it might be on YouTube or something but it was a bit more a bit more experimental and we were just mm-hmm. like, properly having fun yeah. again thinking we were artists and it's, it's, some of it's really nice and then after that, we toured that around the UK a bit. We sold a few of those, and then after that, I, th- I sort of just let it fizzle out. Mm. Sort of because st- at that point, I'd done music for decades, and you'd start, you know, that thing where you, where you'll know, you sometimes where you sometimes sacrifice friends and family because you've got gigs and rehearsals and tours and yep. stuff, and you and so uh, I remember just letting that fizzle out, and. Uh, not really not really we never said let's stop doing it we just mm. sort of didn't didn't pick it back up mm-hmm. after a tour yeah and uh people no no one really like got on the phone and said are we rehearsing again when are we doing anything no one like really did it it was, just, it was almost like I think we're
0: a bit tired of this. yeah it's tired. time it's time to stop I think we're all tired out yeah
2: well, I don't remember having the big chat no we just all went oh, I'm a bit tired of this
0: that's I, I think it's in a way it's a nicer way to do it because yeah. it's it's always a bit sad when there's like one or two members who really want to who carry on doing it, yeah. and everyone who just goes, oh, actually, do you know what? I just, I don't want to do it
1: anymore. Yeah, I'm tired.
2: I think you were really hurt. I think you're bruised and hurt by, you know, getting getting your the dream of your major deal, and then and then bit realizing that actually that's just the first run of the ladder. If you know what I mean. Yeah. You have got to keep keep focusing, keep moving. Well, I realize. Then-
0: I realize with my band, I, I I'm, and we st- I, I, we still do my band, but it, it's more. Of a, of a fun thing I've sort of played professionally with other artists yeah. now but I got to a point where we had a we had a, a record deal in Germany and all these bits and pieces but I sat I sat down and actually did for the first time I ever did the maths
1: Yeah,
0: how much do we need to earn to it so we need to earn let's say we want to pay ourselves 20 grand a year okay yeah. so we need to earn like we need to like make like 100 grand in profits for the band yeah. each year I'm like yeah, but the manager's gonna say twenty percent. So actually, we need to earn more than hundred grand a year. And mm. I just looked at it and started adding up. Let's divide that between each gig, and, yeah. and I was like, "We're never, <laughs> we're never gonna get there ever. I don't see a point where we could ever earn enough money. Yeah. We're just doing band stuff all the time, and that would really make sense. And I, and and where everyone else in the band would be like really happy to yeah. do that, and me included. Um, so yeah, I think I think it, you're right. It is getting a getting a label deal which is which to be honest is not really what people do want to do these days anyway no. that is just the first step yeah. and then there's all these other things you need to do yeah. to get to the top it's yeah yeah it's a long way
2: to the top and it, yeah exactly <laughs> and i just think we were just worn out and i'd also yeah. just missed a lot of um a lot of life a lot of my life had just been in vans mm. going to gigs and yeah. in sound checks yeah and uh i think i wanted to just uh hang out with friends more mm-hmm. and do that stuff yeah and i think I, so i didn't do music for a couple of years really stopped yeah two just years. didn't do it at all i just like f- just forgot about it for a bit
0: and what did you do in those two years
2: i was working in a cafe and i was drinking with people there and having a normal life yeah with <laughs> which must have seemed like a novelty it was really ex- yeah, it was really fun yeah um and just yeah hanging out and, and being around most weekends instead of not mm-hmm. and uh and it was, it was fun it was really good and I was still in Oxford and still you know, still go to shows and stuff but, yeah. and still enjoy listening to music but mm-hmm. I wasn't uh, making it mm-hmm. writing and then I, I accidentally started I don't know why I started writing again I started writing again I guess because you do don't you
1: mm.
2: and I started writing again and um, wrote a few songs and a friend of mine and it, we started a band called Family Machine and that was because I wrote, wrote some songs and a friend of mine who was knocking about with me was a drummer and he was like we should you should do these. Mm-hmm. So we started doing them, and then he knew a bass player. And we can get him to come along. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh no, we're doing a band again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Like you've been tricked into it. Yeah. And then we yeah. were doing it before I we was we like having some really good, really good fun. Mm. Felt and it again felt really liberating. And the first Family Machine album is uh, a real hodgepodge of styles, and it's really like got lots of um different types of songs on it. Where did you record it? We did all of our courtyard studios. Mm-hmm. Um, i went back to in it was then Ian, Ian davenport yeah I should have say Ian davenport did all the all the recording demos before for Metal. i'd loved recording with Ian. and he was quite uh i guess he was quite new at production when he started working then and then obviously all this time had elapsed and he'd become much better at production well, not better he was always good but much mm-hmm. more experienced so i remember sending him a song i'd done i was just I'd, I'd done a song on just using a sampler with loads of just samples and stuff um, called Got It Made and I'd sent it to him and said can we work on this together because I think you'd be really good at this and he was like yeah it's wicked so he did some stuff in his home studio and then we did a little bit in the in Courtyard and then with Family Machine we just started doing little bits in Courtyard with Ian and building up like an album over a couple of years and
0: what were you recording onto at that point
2: they they were using um, they were no longer using tape at that point Right. in fact the Metal album wasn't ta- on tape. People that it, that was at Sawmill Studio. I think they used something called Soundscape in those days, mm-hmm. which is like a, a door that not many people used.
1: Yeah,
2: I think Ian used Soundscape for a while, and then he went to Pro Tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was really fun and just writing stuff for the pure joy of it. As a three-piece, just a bass, drums, and guitar, and then a friend of us, as uh, Neil, he joined us as a as the extra guitarist, um, sort of halfway through rec- making that album and uh, yeah we had loads of fun with Family Machine and, and just again started doing the toilet tour yep. <laughs> of the UK and, do, and doing some of those ge- and that some of that was a bit like oh man I've done I've done this yep. quite a lot mm. and some of these gigs are a little bit pointless yeah some of them are fine mm. uh, but some of it's like oh. So it's tricky.
0: I don't think that now I could go back to doing the, the touring and gigs that I did when I was in my early 20s. No. I don't think anyone would convince me to do it. No. It's it's just too full on.
2: Especially and that's as well, when you're working as well. Yeah. It was fine when we were signing on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're working and you're going to a gig and you might play in front of 10 or 20 people, yeah. you're getting home really late and then you're getting up for work and then doing. Yeah. And we were playing like probably two or three gigs a week at one point with Family Machine around. The around the place and it was like that's a lot of gigs for someone not really and some of them were rubbish
0: yeah I remember with Little Brother Eli like when we would we would do like over oh, over 100 shows a year and yeah. we had jobs yeah and I remember I'm um, not vocalising it but I remember I've had this conversation with Alex i later on and going him going it felt like a job like I had to be like finish finished work and I'd be like oh <laughs> Go do a gig, and you know you go to like Sheffield to play like in front of like one person, yeah. and then you turn around and come home. Yeah. And it's like, and then you you get to a point where you're like, why am I doing that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it is fun and it is great being like in, hanging out with because you hang out with your mates all the time. Well, it's it
2: you have a, you're a, you're a gang, aren't you? Yeah, and it's good fun, and you are making you you're making music, and it's mm. and it's. Uh, And you're playing it to people Mm. and sometimes you get a good show yeah sometimes you get a really good we used to love like the sort of art center shows that you wouldn't know remember playing one in gloucester and them saying oh you've got to play for an hour and we were like oh my god i think we've got about half an (laughs) hour
1: so
2: we just started doing tons and tons of chat in between it was like an audience (laughs) with it was like it was really really fun night
0: it's great when you turn up somewhere you know what it's going to be and then it's just amazing yeah it's just just a really fun
2: night i think again it's one of those nights where it was properly interactive and everyone was just having just a stupid Fun night, yeah, yeah. So I quite enjoyed that. Yeah. And
0: sometimes the terrible gigs are the are the funniest, yeah. As well, I remember we did a gig once. It was like in a pub, and uh, this guy set the PR for us. Oh, thanks. And we Could we uh, were the monitors. He went. He had a he had a strong sort of West Country accent. He went monitors, and I was like, yeah. He said, oh, we've not had a band ask for monitors before, and I was like, well, I want to okay myself sing. It'd be quite useful, And then he shouted to his mate he's like Dave this band wants monitors <laughs> and they're going he wants what Like monitors what are those because I like, can hear himself saying like, we've not had anyone ask for them before <laughs> 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 It's like
2: where are we <laughs> yeah, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah yeah but I, yeah I mean, I, so Family Machine was good fun and I think we made two two albums with Family Machine and they were, they were I'm really proud of them they are really good and it was really nice to do it with some, some friends as well yeah and it's nice to do it. Weirdly, nice to do it with a diff- completely different bunch of people. Because mm. then it was like just something that's fresh and new,
0: different dynamic as well.
2: Yeah, and they, yeah, they're probably they're they, were, they were much better players pro- probably as well. Not that uh, the Days of the Metal weren't good mm. players. Just that they were sort of probably naturally more more musical, mm-hmm. or actually not naturally more musical. That's, they're probably the opposite of that. They're just more theory based. There, yeah. Because I'm still com- I'm completely non theory and like. I'd, I mean, I'd write stuff in different tunes and I'd play it, and they go, what, "What's that?" And I go, "I don't know." Mm. They just have to work it out. Do you? Have you picked stuff up from them? No, no. I'm still Interesting. Re- not remotely interested in the theory, which is, which means everything takes me so long.
0: But it's, interestingly, I think a lot of people come up with more original stuff because I think there's sort of people, some people, over-theorize it and go. Yeah, well, this is how you write a song. You go from the one chord to the minor six. And it's right. like, you know, I think that can sometimes be a bit of a hindrance.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I I think it's just because I know I've plateaued a long time ago at, at my theoretical mm. expertise. Mm. Um, that's why you're probably why I just end up buying weird instruments or effects pedals to inspire me to write, or a different tuning. Right. Oh, I'll put it in a completely different tune and I'll write something and then you play it to them and they go you've just written something in G again mate or C again and it's like oh but, it, but now it's like this well Joni Mitchell calls it the lost uh, the lost
0: tunings because right. she's written a lot of songs in odd tunings Yeah, and then she has to go and play these songs live Yeah, and she's like I don't know what and, I did because you probably do the same you probably just twist until it sounds yeah. correct right yeah and then you might do that recording, and then you come back. And go, I can't
2: remember what it was. Yeah, that happens all the time. Mm. I've now started videoing them on my phone, and I actually go. I say okay, this is this tuning, and the capo's here. Right. Yeah. So that I can actually go back and go, oh, that's what I was doing. Yeah. I have no idea.
0: But there is, you know, capos, open tunings, all that sort of stuff. I think it's really good for creating new sounds. Yeah. Um, I I used to, I, I used to be really into open tunings. Yeah. Just because as soon as you strum the guitar you don't even put your fingers down. It's yeah. like, oh sounds great. And also
2: you can just use one finger sometimes and move yeah. it around and it's like, ooh. Yeah. It's a song here.
0: And if you can play a chord just by even sometimes just barring. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's I think it's a really good I think that all those things are really good tools. And like you say, a new instrument you can write you can just be into because it's new. Yeah. That's or sit
2: down at a piano. I can't play piano at all. Mm. Sit down and play write a song on the piano because it's, it's there. Yeah. And it's yeah, yeah, it's great fun.
0: Nice so um eventually that band ended
2: yeah that, i don't know why i think we why i don't know we just stopped doing it mm. i think the drummer left he he left to do stuff and when, when when a member of the band leaves that sort of starts the band it kind of feels like oh maybe that's yeah that's gone so he left before halfway through writing the second album and then we were like we had some good drummers filling for us but it was like it kind of felt like maybe you know that sort of run its course. Mm-hmm. So we stopped doing that. And then I started writing stuff again. Oh, no, no, I just started doing some film work for John Spira. Mm-hmm. doing some... I did a... Uh, his Star Wars movie, um, Elstree, 1976. He said, can you do the soundtrack for it? And I was like, yeah, okay. I had no idea how to do a soundtrack at all. So how did you approach it? I just... I Yeah, I just... Basically, so I had a chat with him about what vibe he wanted. Mm. And he said he wanted it to be sort of lo-fi and I was thinking great I can do lo-fi <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. he it to sort of sound a bit like uh, maybe sort of granddaddy sparkle horsey sort of stuff
0: yeah because if he'd said I want it to sound like John Williams then I'd you'd be yeah, in trouble
2: I'd be in a big trouble uh, yeah. and so I was like okay I'll use sort of toy instruments sort of synths and acoustic instruments and small things you can do in a home studio mm-hmm. and there won't be too many drums unless they're like you know programmed or drum machine things so so I got my palette sorted mm. which is quite good it's quite nice to say okay, that's the that's what you're using mm and then but I wanted it to sound, make it sound beautiful as well and it's John's films are quite melancholy and a lot of my music's quite melancholy which is why we get on I think and so I wanted it to have that sort of beauty as well mm. sort of a lo-fi beauty
0: and were you doing it to the actual images
2: yeah. so he would send me and he but he really was like oh I want you to do themes for each of the each of the because it's a talking heads interview uh, type thing yeah. I wanted to do themes for each of these so there's not a lot of room to get music in anyway but sometimes, sometimes there's juicy bits mm. yeah, I want to do a give each character or talking person a different theme and that was kind of also stifling and also quite good because you could ne- you could hang something on some person mm-hmm. and then do versions of their theme Yeah. Uh, so I started doing that and like, he'd send me just uh, roughs of who they were talking and I'd sort of write something I'd I, I just write something based on who they were hmm. I don't know what that, what that even means based on who they <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd watch a video of them and then write some music that seemed to fit with them yeah. emo- emotionally and well, some way it's difficult
0: to describe that feeling isn't yeah. it How, uh, well that's nonsense it's like, isn't it it's like when you meet someone yeah. you get a certain feeling sometimes you like them sometimes you
2: don't like them yeah write something that um, somehow fits them emotionally it's yeah like a, in, 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 which is a nonsense uh, but it's what you do isn't it and then, uh, then he started dropping the, the film on me in bits in sort of chunks mm. and I was able to start slotting things in and then I would be able to rewrite things or remove things to fit to the film and some stuff I'd write to the film mm-hmm. just sit there with a guitar and some bit, of some it's really minimal so you could just do little things with that, with recording piano. as you go yeah just with the piano and just do mm. things and you could and then he'd always and change the edit anyway so you'd have to then jig it around anyway right. and manipulate it editing
0: Things a bit like what we were talking earlier before the podcast starts. That thing of like when you're invested in it, it's like you'll you'll spend as much time as it takes to yeah. get it yeah. to get it right because it's worth it in the end.
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was really good, and I was using like a little tiny, um, what's the little digi design thing interface and a like a not a great mic. And uh I remember taking it to the um somewhere in Soho when I do the big. Mm-hmm. uh Music mastering bit to, yeah. the, to the to the film. It's in a big sort of cinema, mm-hmm. the leather sofas, and there's a guy at a desk with a huge desk, and he's got like the, and he's sort of doing the sub stuff and the splitting it all up into cinema sort of sound because it's turning it into like what um, surround sound almost. Not, yeah, it wasn't. I don't know if it was surround, but it was definitely like you know, this, yeah, maybe because this would be over here and this would be there, and it's yeah. all about the frequencies. And, and
0: did you mix? Did he give him the stems? Did to mix it, or did you mix
2: it? I mixed it. Right. And then I would got Tim Tran to master it for me. Right. So I'd mixed it, and I said, um, and I, so it was all these, all these individual cues, and I'd mixed it, and then I said, Tim, can you make, can you make that sound really good? Yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I I'd, I'd said, get rid of any horrible frequencies that are going to become a nuisance later on. Yeah. Because I'm not, I'm a bit slapdash. Mm. And he did that, and then we went to this place, but we at this place, and I was thinking... I, mean, I know that I, I can hear like the headphones bleeding on that track because mm. it was too late and it's done mm. and I said to this guy who was doing it and he's like won awards like for being the sound guy I said I'm, yeah. is this alright is there a bit of bleed on that and he went mate compared to loads of stuff we get this is like absolutely fine like, he's either being really nice uh-huh. or like yeah he must have to deal with some absolute dross because <laughs> it was like really like I was properly just getting away with it
0: it's funny that is that when you get to that point when and and it's difficult not to like panic isn't it yeah and be like i'm, I'm going to get I've found got it out. wrong <laughs> yeah i'm definitely
2: going to get this is when they find out they absolutely find out that i just made it at home on my computer yeah with some stuff
0: mm. which yeah. is what everyone's doing and it's what everyone's doing now for sure as yeah. well
2: yeah and and because that sort of imposter syndrome is like i always have that i mean it, it, lots of people do yeah but that was the point where I thought, they are definitely gonna find out now <laughs> about how bad this is. And they didn't, they were like, it's fine, this works really well. Right. And then it was great. And then, uh, anyway, sort of doing that, I, when I was doing that, I was making sort of music, it was obviously a bit more sort of ethereal, but still quite lo-fi. And, mm. and I started writing a few, I wrote a few pieces for that, that I didn't end up using for that, that I ended up turning into songs, just because just I did. And I wrote a song called Auto Heart, and I ended up using that and turning that into a. At first, it was just me. Then I got someone to drum on it. Then I got Fila to play bass on it, who was in Family Machine, and Neil to do some stuff. And it was like, oh, we're putting a band together, and so we put a band together. And it was basically just getting together and drinking coffee and playing these songs that I'd written.
0: And what was the vibes of the song? Did it come out of the out of the scoring that you were doing? Yeah.
2: So a lot of them had. Yeah. And, they'd, and uh, so there were, so there was less emphasis on structure. It'd be more like a feel, mm. um, you know. Maybe it hasn't got a chorus at all. It's just got uh, some words and then a big, nice big bit of music. And it's just and some of them are structured. Um, and then it, and as we started hanging out together, then you'd start writing stuff that was more just fun to play as a band as well. Mm. So sometimes it's com- some quite punky, noisy things uh, tucked in amongst sort of these um, more sort of cinematic pieces, really. It's interesting
0: actually, I always find like sometimes I'll be doing something, and in the back of my mind, I don't know if you have this as well I'm like I like this, but I know that the sooner they take it to the band, it's gonna make more sense because they're gonna interpret your whatever use that yeah. you've done in a more in a way that kind of is more practical or makes more sense or something
2: and, I, and what I started doing is because I was because I was working on my own with just the computer and and just writing I then started before we started really rehearsing. As a band, band, we would sort of, we do a bit of that, and then we would do less of that. And then I'd get people. If there was no one coming up that week, I'd say, "Do you want to put a bit on a part, play a part on here?" And they'd play a part on this recording that we were doing. And they'd all build it up in bits sometimes. And that meant that when we did go and rehearse, everyone knew what they were supposed to be playing. Mm. But then they'd also elaborate on that in the in the room. And songs have definitely grown now in, in a live way. Yeah, that, are, that that people are really like playing on them in a way they weren't playing on when they first were like oh I'll just write a part for that mm, mm. which is really nice and, and you can feel that tension so you've got we play, so there's three guitarists in this band bed and Tom is he's a I've known him for years but he's he's really noisy he's a really noisy rocky punky guitarist mm. which is sort of the opposite to where, where the, a lot of these songs come from so the tension between what he's doing and yeah. where these songs are it's really like sometimes it'd be a lot easier to just say Tom don't just go, just don't play. Yeah. Because, but having him there is really interesting, really cool because that tension that he brings is like, it's quite good fun.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you uh, embrace that.
2: I my Everything, I have to use my whole self to, to embrace that. Really, it's interesting. Because yeah. my natural gut reaction would be like, I need to control everything and just get, that's too volatile and difficult. Yeah. yeah. But it's interesting to, to actually keep it there because yeah. he does bring something that I definitely wouldn't ever bring.
0: And a lot of the, I think a lot of the great bands do that. I think about, like, The Police. Yeah. I've heard interviews where Sting's like, I just want them to play it like how I want them to play it. Yeah. But, you know, everyone in that band's like, oh, what if I do this? And what if I do this? And it, what comes together is just totally weird. But yeah. It's what makes it sound like The Police.
2: Yeah, and it's that thing. I mean, especially when we're all sat in front of our computers doing writing music in that way. I mean, everything's controlled. and We're automating everything. And mm. The effects are in time and everything's like, you think, oh yes, yeah, just how, I, just how I want it. You're mm. painting this thing, obviously. yeah. See, but then you get in a in a room and or you get people to add to that or bring stuff, to their own stuff. It's just it can be like really painful sometimes, mm. but also really good. And do you ever get that thing where you
0: bring something and you're really excited about it, yeah, and you show it to everyone else and they're a bit like, I don't 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 like it or don't get it, and yeah. it's it's like it took me years to get used to that, yeah. And now I don't get hurt or hurt no. by it at all. But I remember when I was younger, yeah. I used to like if I'd show if I was and they'd say I'd be like I'd get in like in a sulk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, spent two weeks on this thing and no
2: one likes it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I do I I quite um I I sometimes happens the opposite way around where I write something and I think this is really I quite like this the vibe of this. Mm. What else often happens if I write something and I don't ever finish the lyrics for it. I bring it to the band and then we like start working it, but the lyrics aren't finished. You'll be playing it and it'll sound great. It sound really good and everyone's got a nice part and everyone's really enjoying it. And then they're like going, we, should st- we should we could play that in front of people. I'm like I still can't finish the lyrics. And the reason I can't finish the lyrics is because I don't like it. Right. Yeah. And if I liked it, I would have definitely finished it. Mm. So sometimes it goes the opposite way around. And I bring something. And I think oh, this is quite good. It's quite interesting. Quite exciting. And then I'm like, it's not. Otherwise, I would have finished it. Yeah. I obviously I don't-, don't like it. <laughs>
0: A lot of, a lot of lyricists don't write lyrics till the last moment as well. Yeah. Like
2: I find they come at quite often if it's going to finish mm. and be a song that I like usually the the lyric and the song comes at the same time. It's interesting. Like or a lyric. Yeah. Like the the, th- yeah. the feature lyric mm. will come at the same time.
0: The important thing.
2: Yeah, or it might just be the feel. Mm. Yeah, somehow the feels are sometimes if you haven't written the song and you sit down and you go well it's a bit of a melancholy one but w- w- what is it about? And, yeah. sort of go, well, what? and then I can write some words. Be like, they're, just, they're just words. Mm. They're not, they don't mean anything. Yeah. It's just a load of words. Mm. So you say, I want it to mean something. But
0: then what's funny about that is that sometimes what you write it, you think it means. Yeah. You talk to someone else about it, they think it means like yeah. something completely different.
2: Which is fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, if it doesn't mean anything to me, I just sort of feel like, well, what's, what's the point? Yeah. What's the actual point? Yeah. Strange, isn't it?
0: i've i've definitely worked with singers who are writing the final verse as you're setting up the microphone for they might have written the first verse and the yeah. second verse but they haven't written all of it and they're writing the last bit as they as they yeah. come up to sing it because i've you know they'd either leave it to last moment or they're just not feeling it or think oh, i'll write that later
1: and
2: yeah yeah well, we used to do that in often in the days it'd be like the second verse is the same as the first but with a slightly different <laughs> lyric. St- yeah. Change it. And I was listening to um, like a, a Lemonheads album the other day and um, he'd done that. He'd written the same... He just redid the first verse for the third verse. Yeah. It's like, oh, he, no one can be asked. <laughs> there's, a, there's an
0: Oasis song. I think it might be, it might be Live Forever or, or one of their other hits where the structure of the song is first verse, chorus first verse again, yeah. guitar solo, first verse, chorus end. And it's like, really?
2: Because <laughs> obviously it's like, well, it, it works, so we'll just repeat it. Yeah,
0: and it's fine, but it's like, it's funny, isn't it? Because other people will just slave yeah. over like a, s- a sentence yeah.
2: for like a week. Yeah. Oh, I don't like it. I just write yeah. it, write it, oh, I don't like the sound of that. Yeah, yeah it's is weird, isn't it? But then people just latch onto it anyway because if it moves them, it moves them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wrote... um What's the song? There's a bed song we do and it's got hardly any words at all in it. The one about um, the bed sheets and it's people's birthday. It's just the same lyric over and over. It's just the same. It's first verse, second verse. Mm -hmm. No chorus. Yeah. It's like, you can't write a song like that.
0: One of, uh, I was teaching guitar to a kid once and and, uh, he said the most profound thing I've ever heard. He wanted to learn, we were learning a Nirvana song and he said, I don't know what he's singing about but it sounds really important yeah because you can never under i can never understand anything that's sung in that band yeah. ever like I, you'd just be singing anything
1: yeah
0: but it sounds it sounds like he's boiling nails in his throat you know it's it's like really it's like really
2: just yeah. emotionally and that's enough uh,
0: you know it's, yeah and he just yeah i don't know what he's singing about but it's it's it sounds like it's important and i yeah. kind of think that's that's a big part of it as well is like if the singer's singing something and it whatever they're singing is they're singing it with like passion and meaning yeah you know, well, obviously, even if you don't understand it it's fine
2: yeah but it obviously means something to him yeah yeah absolutely. he's not just phoning in some stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah i never understood
0: like i i've seen i've only have uh, people in the pop world writing stuff just stuff yeah. you know just any old words you know i yeah. fucking going to do this and then, and then this oh yeah, yeah that's no, no. fine i'm in the club and it's like i i, I can't connect with that i find it difficult to listen to that kind of music
2: yeah but Bowie would do that wouldn't he would chop bits of newspaper up and then drop them and would he occasionally you know yeah, that, yeah. And like, but then all his words seem to mean so much so yeah perhaps they do perhaps you once you get that random stuff and put it in the right order you go ah okay mm.
0: There's some of his stuff there's, there's lyrics of his that I love and I don't know why I love it like when he goes like the serious moonlight and I'm like serious moonlight yeah. I'm like
2: yeah everyone loves that
0: it makes no sense to me, yeah. but I love it, and I don't know why.
2: Yeah,
0: just two words that I really liked it. Alex Turner is good at that as well. Um, Putting words, I, a vacuum cleaner, Ford Cortina, or something. Yeah, and I'm just like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It? Yeah,
2: what gets you? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I still, I, I still love writing songs. I still like, I still like doing it. Although I do have little phases where I write lots of them, and then phases where I sort of tend not to. So what do you do with songs that you write now? Uh, what? How do I write them, or what do I do with them?
0: Yeah, what do you do with them?
2: Uh, I usually play them to the band and say, "Should we do this? Should we, should we stick this in the set?" Yeah. Um, and ag- and again, I'll um, I'll either write that. We'll either record that as a live band, mm-hmm. or we might build it up depending on what type of song it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a really bandy sounding song, we'll play it as a band. If it's something a bit more, uh, yeah, more programmed or have that element to it.
0: So at what point did you start running uh, Glasshouse?
2: Uh, seven oh, years yeah. ago, I started Glasshouse. Okay. Um, it's
0: fairly recent, I guess, then. You're like, well, yeah,
2: I'd worked or? at Glass... I'd worked at Col- Coldroom mm-hmm. for... I mean, Coldroom had lots of owners. It was started by Nick Morbath. And then, I think, Richard Willoughby owned it. All, these, all this time, I rehearsed there.
0: Richard was in... Uh, the Dirt- Was he in the Dirty Earth band? Yeah yeah he owned because, it for a while so Rick um, Martin the singer yeah his son uh, we were in a band together for years right Ricky okay um, we were in a band called South Parade
2: okay I know do, the name yeah, yeah
0: we used to do loads of gigs around it was like my first sort of indie band type yeah. of thing um, but he was a great drummer as well yeah
2: he still plays he's a good drummer yeah
0: yeah it
2: was him and then uh, Richard Haynes took it over at some point and he would do he would been recording bands in a place called dungeon studios out in some little village he'd recorded everyone mm-hmm. uh you know Supergrass and probably i don't even know if he'd done radio perhaps not but those lots of bands we were making demos oh, i and think stuff. i've confused richards no, that's richard the richard Haynes.
0: yeah it's the rich, that's the richard i'm thinking of yeah.
2: yeah he'd he'd recorded everyone and um, we'd, we'd done a an ep of him as Dazers years and years ago um and I got to know him from rehearsing there. And he, I remember having no job at one point. Um, after I did a stupid motorbike tour of from Oxford to Greece, on, and quit our jobs. And we, and anyway, when I, when I came back, I didn't have any mm. um, any job. And he said, "Come and do some work for me around the studio." And I sat in with him, and we would uh, he would I'd rec- help him record bands, and i and he would use he was actually running Logic and a big analog desk and stuff. And I'd set things up for him, and he'd show me how to mic things up and show me how to get it. You know, in the desk and in the in the box, and what to do. And I was completely computer illiterate in that in that way, in like music tech mm. stuff. I've been in studios loads, but I'd never like done it. Right. You know. Yeah. I'd never done it. And he showed me how to do it.
0: And was it a recording studio entirely? Yeah, then? it was a recording yeah. studio.
2: Well, it had the main live room and then the main control room. So it was a it was a recording studio. And he was pretty. He was I mean, he's really good. He'd been doing it for years. Mm. He could just he could just dial it in. Band would come in and be like. Mm. Be up and running really quickly because yeah. he knew what he was doing. It's, he knew his desk. He knew the room. Mm. He was great. He, um, I remember being with him once when we recording a band, and I said, "God, oh, again, this is a this is a good little song, isn't it? It's that's just good." And he went, "He went, dear boy, you don't listen to the song. You never listen to the song. You got to listen to the sound." And I was like, oh but I quite like songs." Yeah. But he'd been doing it for so long. He was like, "Don't get distracted by that, man. We really <laughs> just got to be doing this." So sometimes he was a bit like. I think that was because he was recording someone that he just didn't care about, right? Yeah, And he was just like, "Let's just make it sound good," mm. and I was like, "Getting all getting all into the song."
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting though because I would argue that, like, if the if the song's crap, it doesn't matter how good the sound is.
2: Well, it means nothing, does it?
0: Think about all the songs that we love that actually sound terrible. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. I mean, mm. you could record it on a phone and it would still be a great song.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you're doing it day in day out. It's different, isn't it? Yeah.
2: I thought that was weird and it kind of put me off recording Mm. but it also gave me an insight into what it actually made me realise what I did and didn't want to do Mm. I didn't want to record bands that I wasn't interested in Mm. but I I did want to use all this technology to write songs Mm -hmm. and and how other people do that Mm -hmm. I suppose Mm -hmm. but he was he was great and he taught me lots of stuff. Um, And you
0: uh, you occasionally record bands do you Uh,
2: yeah, uh, I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we've got a smaller control room now, it's so more of a control covered. But mm-hmm. yeah, I still record bands. Did sort of Easter Island statues recently, and because um, it's a
0: great room that in that big room. Yeah, it's fantastic. Glasshouse.
2: We just recorded uh, Rats Eat Rats as well. Who are a great little band. Um, yeah, that was it, so. I do stuff. I just try not to do stuff that I know is going to be painful. Yeah. Not that you know no. what what's in what I should sort of qualify that a bit because they. Every running the rehearsal studio and the recording studio, I kind of I'm less of a snob about music these days. Mm-hmm. When I was a youngster, I was like, "Oh, you doing covers? band, just not real music. It's not real." Mm. And it's like, I more like music to me feels like there's people doing it for fun, mm. and I'm doing it for fun as well these days. Um, and some of them are doing it, are just playing cover versions in their in this room, and they're just like having a few beers, and it's just like music club. Yeah. Uh, people are doing it a bit more professionally or they want to like make it a bit more serious and then some people are getting paid properly for it you know, mm. like Willie J was in um, yesterday rehearsing and he's he's doing super well he's, he's doing
0: amazing isn't he yeah. yeah
2: so all these people I think are all doing it I always think I give them the same respect whoever they are mm. but um, you don't there's some people are getting paid for it and some people aren't yeah
0: and if and it's the best hobby you can have it's great it's like whether you're doing it professionally or not
2: professionally Yeah. it's just it's, it's the most fun I mean, uh, we've got a WhatsApp group for our band, and it's still called Music Club because yeah. it's basically, um, <laughs> it's just basically a music club where we used to get together and make music, and, st- yeah. and that's what we we still do.
0: I think even if you're doing it quite professionally, yeah. it's not professional in this. In certainly for me, it's never been professional in the sense of like going to an office. Yeah, it's still fun because yeah. if it's not fun, then why bother doing yeah, it? No, exactly.
2: You need to remind yourself of that as well. Yeah, and but but also within that, actively take out the bits that aren't fun. Yeah, if you can. Yeah. Yeah. so you get to enjoy the good stuff
0: I find it's I have the the the, the uh, money to fun ratio if someone asks me to do something yeah. it's like if I really don't want to do it I'll
2: say does oh, the price go up
0: yeah, yeah I just oh, £1,000 <laughs> and then they say yes you know like, oh, right I have to do it now sort of thing yeah but um, I find it's a difficult I find that a difficult balance as someone because I play in lots of bands yeah. trying to I always try and keep it fun but it's not always it's yeah. not al- I'm, I'm sometimes doing things I don't want to do yeah well you've got to do that and that's that's part of it it's a difficult balance but I'm never ever I have to remind myself it's still music so yeah. it's actually it still is fun
1: yeah
0: and I'm really lucky to do it because a lot of people want to play music all the time and they don't have that they can't at the end they don't have the time or they don't have the opportunity or whatever yeah so it should it should in theory still be fun most of the time yeah
2: yeah. yeah, no, I hear. Um, no, it was, it's, but it was great. I worked with Richard, but he got really sick. He, um, and then he he passed away, and his wife took over the studio at that point. And I worked, I ran the studio for her for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and then eventually I left because um, I was doing something else. And she was, uh, uh, she was a bit sort of erratic as well. I'm not sure she was particularly music.
0: Mm. It sort of fell into a little bit of disrepair, didn't it, for a while.
2: Yeah, so I left there and I, but then eventually um, th- I think it got run down a bit and the lease was up and then the landlord said to me because I still knew the landlord mm. from my time working there and they said, do you want to take it on? And at that point I took it on mm. and we sort of redid the electrics, re- sort of refitted it out, made it more comfortable, made it a nicer place to rehearse.
0: Was that a big undertaking to do?
2: It cost some money mm. and I borrowed lots of money um, and but I knew that it would make, I knew what it would do mm. what it would make um and it, it sort of and it, and it has fortunately it's been it's been really good i mean we'll see what the future holds but it's what i love about it is it's a really good space to to rehearse and be creative but i'd also love the fact that we can record there and, and do all that as well
0: yeah i love i was saying to you earlier i really love i love glasshouse it's, a, it's yeah. like it's it's also got a history to it and the where it, actually, where it is in the countryside yeah. so it's really nice to rehearse and then just step outside and you're just surrounded by fields yeah. and it's just it's, I mean it's very Oxfordshire yeah. you know the, that kind of thing yeah but I
2: really like it I mean I've been rehearsing there since I was like 19 and someone yeah. said when Nick said come out to my studio and we were mm. like whoa so I've always been there mm. so it's really nice to just be there now yeah um, then, then we'll see see where it goes see what the future holds of it but it's, at the moment I'm really enjoying it
0: yeah yeah. yeah, and um, um the re- the the recording that you do in the studio, do you mix it as well?
2: Yeah, I have done. I I always say to people, cause I, I I think I know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. I mean, as far as production goes, I'm really good at getting. I'm really good at. I'm saying things like I'm really good. I I really enjoy and i good at um getting the, the the performance mm-hmm. and getting it into the, getting it in the box if you like. Yeah. And keeping a session really moving and keeping mm. it, because sometimes you can have the energy sucked out of a session with just like, if you keep it moving and keep everyone mm. like good and get get it all in there and really get a good feel f- and, and and get a good vibe and concentrate on the vibe of the what's going down. And
0: being positive
2: all the time. Yeah, and just, and working hard. Yeah. Like when, working with Ian Davenport and watching how he works at Courtyard. Mm. He will be, he's relentless. He will be, he's doing stuff all the time. The band might be, Having a cup of tea or a sandwich or something, hmm. he's working his ass off, yeah, yeah. and he's doing stuff when they, that they don't even notice. He's fixing this or doing that, mm. and he's and then he's setting up the mic for the next thing, and he's and it's always about the, let's keep moving, keep session moving.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Burning through it, and it's like a really long day, from like you know ten in the morning till you know into the small hours. Yeah,
0: if I'm recording here, I quite i will skip meals but i won't realize it because you just you'll probably find the same when you're recording you're just going 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 and also making it sound good for the client as they go so they get a bit of an idea what it's actually going to sound like yeah so
2: you get excited as you're going so you're keeping that excitement and that momentum
0: yeah because i i've definitely remember when i go into the studio and that hasn't been the case you're working with nj maybe a bit grumpy he's not that bothered or whatever yeah and you're recording it and because they're not making it sound nice as they go you can be a bit like oh it doesn't well, it doesn't sound like good, <laughs> you know. Because yeah. you need to add a little bit of magic as you go, mix it a little bit,
2: you know. so Sometimes just it's to know what's going on a bit as well. Yeah. Um, although I do, yeah. So I like all that front end stuff, getting it all in there and getting and talking about the arrangements. And if if they want to talk about arrangements, if they don't, then I just leave them to it. Mm. Um, but and 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 really fo- focusing on that energy and that and getting a good takes and 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 making sure everything's nice as well. That mm. actually is good take and. And, you know, sometimes saying, you know, redo that. And someone saying, I thought I was right. Yeah, I was all right. Getting the best out. Getting the best out of everyone.
0: Yeah. And how do you approach it? Do you try and get them doing it as live as possible or? Depends what people want
2: to do. If it's it's that thing, Mm. it's the same. If it's a trashy live song that can speed up and slow down, then let's do that. And if it's not, if it's something that is like really groove based, Mm. let's click it and maybe build it if 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 that's the way the band wants to do it mm. I think it's sort of di- di- dictated by the song yeah quite a lot and and the band you know what they feel comfortable doing
0: mm. I'm always trying to capture the rhythm section playing together whenever yeah. whenever possible because yeah. just get even if you then overdub everything again then you've got the vibe to begin yeah. with and you can hear it can't you the, what's yeah. going on yeah
2: yeah don't don't build it like just a drum track to just click we I get people playing yeah. together and then we you can take stuff off and redo stuff yeah because um, humans are they they good at react, you know interacting in that way yeah. aren't they Yeah, it's quite exciting. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think that to try and capture the vibe as much as possible is important. And yeah. um, most guitarists want, then want to go back and do the solo fifty times. Yeah. So you have to allow for that as well. But yeah. yeah, I I love that thing of a band. I love that thing where you might you could solo each individual instrument and it kind of sounds like wonky and then yeah. you put it all together yeah. and all of a sudden it's like whoa it sounds yeah. like the bat it sounds like a band yeah. you know um i don't know if you've ever listened to like motown stems or something right. of like just the bassist or james jameson from motown or whoever playing you know you listen to it on its own it's like oh, it sounds really it sounds really wonky and terrible and then yeah. you put it with the band and it's like magic you yeah. know yeah. i think that's what that's what i love i think we've got a little i think a lot of modern production has got away from that maybe a little bit too much yeah. that
2: idea of 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 the vibe. I think they. I mean, I'm not a producer. I like I said, I can I can get it in there nicely with a feel, and then someone else, more often than not, mixes it. Especially mm. with our stuff, I always mix it in and send it to someone else and say, "Can you make it like that, but much better?" And they go, yeah. and they always do. Mm. But I do think you're right. I think sometimes people try and make it sanitized because it's easier to control that mm. sanitized way of doing things because you can go you can look at it on the grid and you can be sure that it's right and mm. that you like it so it's like instead of saying i like that because i like the way that feels you mm. can go it's right i like it because it's right
0: you can see you people looking rather than hearing yeah. yeah you
2: take it takes you back to how we used to record on tape on the on the big tape machines and you would you come in after a take and you go that felt pretty good and they go yeah i thought so should we have a listen back it? yeah and you're like there's nothing to look at no you're just in the room you know you're rolling a cigarette or whatever you're listening and you're like yeah ah just just go with that and they're
0: yeah. like yeah let's go with that it feels good that's what i loved about that i didn't you really watch that beatles documentary
2: that I, did. I did yeah i started watching it yeah.
0: yeah um i had COVID. i watched this the whole thing yeah. when i was ill and um there's a lot of that they're like you know they might do like 30 takes and then they'd all come back and have a little chat and just have a little listen yeah. and go yeah that's the one that's that's cool yeah. but no one's looking at the screen going I mean, is it in time you're a little bit off it here <laughs> can you hear that can you can you hear that moving a bit if you can't hear it i always say if, if i'm not interested in things i can't hear yeah Some so when you do are. an
2: edit i always have to like look away after i've done the edit and <laughs> listen to the edit and then because if i'm just looking at the edit point i'm like concentrating on that and it's like yeah we should probably use our ears if we're doing music yeah absolutely i don't know i mean i don't there's lots of different people who are successful in all different methods and it also depends on the style of music doesn't it yeah. as well yeah I, was, I heard this
0: quote from Al Schmidt who's a um, famous mixing engineer and recording engineer and he was doing a Steely Dan record and he happened to someone one of them popped their head in and he happened to have switched the speakers off but the levels were still going and they thought that his way of mixing was was he didn't listen; he just put the faders in the right place. He just it became it became like a mystery. It yeah. became like a like a thing, and when people would go, Do you know, Al Schmidt, he does he he mixes without the speaker switched on. He just, just levels. Puts them in the, he just he just put he knows where the faders need to go, sort of thing. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I like that idea. Yeah, it's
2: really good. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's lots of different ways of doing it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. cool. Nice. That's a nice place to end. Well, I think that's it, isn't it? I think that's my life. Yeah. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) This is your life. Thanks, man. That was really fun. Thank you, yeah. See, it's good to go down memory lane. If people want to uh, find out what you do, where can they look? Uh,
2: Where can they look? There's a... So the Glasshouse Studios is glasshousestudios.org or is it Mm -hmm. glasshousestudiosoxford.org? You can find Bed on all the socials bed is b with b double d yeah two apparently ds. it's uh, welsh for grave so that's ex- quite dark e- extra did you know that when you did it no i didn't <laughs> i used two d's because i think one d was taken and then i looked it up and it's like oh that's it's, it's welsh for grave that's even more more goth yeah that appeals to my goth so so you can find us on the socials there um
0: yeah fantastic
2: that's cool it. thank you very much no worries Nice one man, that was really good. What fun. time is it? Guys we've been in here for hours. I'm sorry, Josh. <laughs> That's right. No, it's really good. I've
0: got podcasts of many Interesting.
2: Long form.
0: Long form. Well I'm I'm really into long form. I don't know if you listen to podcasts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm really into long form podcasts. Yeah. Because I I hate things that only are like ten minutes long. Yeah. When people just sound bites, I hate that shit. I like people have long conversations, people talk about interesting things. Which yeah. kinda of the idea of why I wanted to do this. Well good sort of well I thing. hope
2: it's vaguely interesting. Thanks.
0: No, it's really interesting. That's why I, got, I contacted you, I was like, Jamie's got, uh, you know, I know the bands you've been in, about, but Jamie's got lots of good stories.
2: Oh uh, yeah, I'm not sure i got all the stories, yeah, anyway, we'll do, <laughs> you can do what you want with it.
0: Yeah, thank you, yeah. that was really fun, that was really fun. I really need to wait.
2: Yeah, I need to go and get some lunch actually, because I think I'm going to go and play guitar this afternoon before I pick the kids up. Oh, well, how You've got how, two kids? Yeah, ten and seven. Actually a ten year old takes himself to and from school now. Oh, wow. That looks a bit weird, actually. <laughs> George, Fun little canada. Like, you can see it's used to be a pianola. Yeah, yeah I I really like the price. It's really nice and warm.